are listening to Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns Podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by Philip Russell and Ryan Shutt, aka Uncle Ryan. Yeah. We are, we are coming at you Saturday morning, as always. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Well, uh, not as good as we were going into this week, but still better than we were doing like four weeks ago. So we're great. Philip, how are we feeling over there, buddy? Better than Kevin Durant's ankle. <laughs> mm, we are starting off strong, guys. <laughs> um, I might be in the minority here. Maybe it's just remarkable optimism. I'm genuinely not concerned. Maybe I should be, but I'm I'm not. That's very uh, brave of you. Thank you. I'm just not going to I'm not going to worry about it. I thought Devin Booker did everything he could to put my nerves at ease against the Thunder. I thought Kevin Durant finishing warm-ups and seemingly being in a, a pretty good spot is encouraging. So I'm not going to let that be the downer. Obviously, we're going to bring it up when we get to the game against the Thunder or the pregame to the game against the Thunder. But overall, Suns went 2-0 this week, guys. I think that should be a cause for joy. So without Kevin Durant's ankle being a part of the question, how are we feeling, guys? All right. Other than that, I'm good. All right. All right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And Philip, still better than Kevin Durant's ankle? I am, and I have healthier ankles right now, I guess. But it's really – I'm kind of with you, Ethan. I was just trolling at the beginning. It's not It's not a huge deal because Kevin Durant has a gift. It's a skill. It's something about him where he comes back from injury, and it doesn't look like he's been injured. He comes back like Kevin Durant every time after an Achilles injury, after a knee sprain. After he rolled his ankles, he there's just something about him where it seems like injuries don't bother him. When he gets that all clear from the medical staff, he's like, "All right, cool. I'm a thirty point per game scorer. Here I am. Yeah, I'm back, baby." So I think insane. I think you would expect him to be back in that capacity, just like he was against uh, who was his first game back? Charlotte against Charlotte, and then against the Mavericks as well. Yeah, he's he's unreal. He really is unreal, um, and I'm excited to talk about two games. We only have two games to talk about, um, which is kind of nice. We don't have to sprint through five games. We've got the game against Dallas, which I think will go down as a very, very memorable game, not just within the season, but potentially in a rivalry to come, and a unfortunate beginning to a Thunder game that Devin Booker, again, just put on a show for before. We get there, though. I did want to make a quick announcement for the pod, for the channel, for the whatever um, here just within the first five minutes. As some of you know, maybe you don't, uh, SB Nation slash Fox slash whoever our, our, our daddies are, financially speaking, here at the podcast, uh, massive layoffs in, I guess, January at this point. I feel like it's been a bit. And a lot of us were kind of put in a wait and see mode. Do we get to keep our channels? Do we get to keep the name of our podcast? Do we get to keep our library? Who knows? Um, we have finally got a little bit of clarity in terms of what is going on. We are going to be leaving Brightside. 
uh, in the next few weeks and joining the Fans First Sports Network, which is a really exciting new project that is being led up by people who have been doing what we're doing, but longer and better and with more success. It is a group that really has their focus on elevating and growing channels just like this. Um, Fans that love to talk about the thing you love to listen about and trying to make the most of it. Now, I want to let you know, as things are still happening behind the scenes, we still don't have a new podcast feed. There's still some red tape things happening there. uh, And we still don't have kind of the official branding to send you to. So what we want to do here within the top of the episode, two things you can do on Twitter at the Valley PHX, any upcoming changes, you will know about it right there. And I know we don't push it too hard. I We've appreciated the folks that I have joined, but follow us on the YouTube. That was an old man way to word that, but I say it it non-jokingly now just in life, and then I realize it came out. Uh, At the Valley PHX is the channel on YouTube. They have channels now where you can actually have kind of little tags like that. But we have been rocking and rolling here with live episodes every Saturday morning since the new year. That is not going away. And again, it'll be a great place for you to come once we do have the new podcast feed. So we can send you there to go ahead and subscribe. Uh, Make sure you don't miss an episode. And with that, there are some other exciting changes that are going to allow us to branch out even more uh, in order to put out episodes that maybe we weren't able to in the past, whether that's post-game reactions, doing a lot in the playoffs. Uh, We're really excited. I think we have found a group that wants us to kind of take the reins. And so we're really excited for that. But, and I want to say this every time we pitch the new thing, Want to again say thanks to Dave King, the folks at Brightside. Uh, we were we were out rolling independent for a year, just doing this on our own. Those that listened, we appreciate you, and we're glad you found us. Uh, but Dave put uh, a spotlight on us and gave us a platform that we would not have had. So every time I talk about the new exciting stuff, I want to again thank Dave King and the Brightside folks because we would not have this new opportunity if it weren't for uh, the one we're a part of now. So, and, and to show that there's no beef with us leaving Brightside, Ethan and I are still going to be part of the website for Brightside. We're going to continue doing the fan table articles on there. So this is a very amicable parting of ways and it's been supported by Dave is Dave's awesome. He, Dave himself tried to find us a different network to go to. So he's been professional and kind and caring during this split. Dave's a great podcast dad. I'll go ahead and say what, <laughs> Thanks, what we're all thinking. Dave is great and and has been um and no matter what our new home is wouldn't wouldn't be surprised to see us staying connected. I think Dave I don't know if he meant to but on his email about us still writing on the the fan table, he even was like or in another capacity. So he might he might be leaving the door open for Ethan to have a rant on the on the <laughs> website. Just Basically, Landry Shamit Weekly. I don't know something where I get annoyed. Oh, about yes, other, that'll bring in. All I think the that'll readers. do great for them. Uh, areas where son. Ethan gets annoyed at Sun's Twitter. He picks his topic and goes hard. I think it'll be great. Uh, but again, YouTube, Twitter—that's where you're going to stay up to date on everything. We're really excited. I think that is the the thing. Nothing is changing about the show itself, which is my favorite part of this because I genuinely love doing this. Um, and that's Wait, not we're taking away. Ryan with us. 
We are. That was actually oh, a part okay. of the contract. Uh, the guys over there were like, hey, we like what you're doing. But that one guy who just has a little bit of an edge and always yells at his haters, we like that energy. We want that <laughs> uh, to be a part I can of now it. officially name my haters, and it's Vox Media. I couldn't say it beforehand. <laughs> Uh, but hey, the we're, still on, is, we're still on the payroll for another two and a half weeks. I'm just kidding. Love those guys. Thanks for laying <laughs> us off. Thanks. Well, guys, let's let's get into it because I now look, I enjoyed I enjoy rewatches. I enjoy watching Suns games, especially when I know the end result. I had a lot of fun with these rewatches and just digging into some of the stats, kind of trying to take what I'm seeing and, and looking big picture at the rest of the season. I thought it was a great week of fun basketball. So quick recap, two games this week, starting off with the game against Dallas. The Suns win 130-126. It was a two-point game. Luka, with a questionable non-offensive foul call, misses a bunny, corralled by Kevin Durant, and then we hit the free throws to go up four and kind of ice that one. And then what was supposed to be Kevin Durant's exciting home opener where people in Phoenix paid amounts of dollars that I would not feel comfortable to pay for a regular season game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. They went to watch Kevin Durant slip and fall during warmups and not play. But the good news, Devin Booker, even a, he addressed this in the post game, by the way, which I love. He said, I wanted to make sure there was still a show, basically. He, he knew. He knew the energy that was there and wanted to deliver. Suns win 132-101. Devin Booker with 44 points in 28 minutes. Don't want to get too far into that because I've got more to say later. But two very fun games, one in kind of the traditional, this feels like a playoff game, uh, stakes feel high, intensity is high, and then another one where it's kind of, Philip, cover your ears real quick, Devin Booker against the Bulls from about a month ago where you're just like, this is an insane talent and we're watching something special. Similar to how NBA Twitter reacts to Dame Lillard doing anything, Suns Twitter got to feel that way about Devin Booker against the Thunder. So I want to go ahead and start with the Mavericks game. I think we can just go one game at a time because it's easy to kind of compartmentalize each of them. Open it up to you guys. Um, like I said, Suns win 130-126 in a game that was close the whole time. I think Suns' largest lead was nine. Mavs' largest lead was eight. This was a game that felt tight the entire time. Felt like a playoff game. It was chippy. It was angry. What stood out to you? Philip? I'll kick it over to you first. I'm trying to think big picture wise or just diving into some of what I liked big picture wise. Let me just troll a little bit. I think it's good for Suns fans to troll the Mavericks. Uh, imagine if your star player missed two bunnies under two minutes in a close game. Couldn't be the Suns because Luca missed that bunny with 150 left. And then he did it again with under 10 seconds. So he had a, he had a rough end to the game. It's also really annoying to watch Luca. He shoots so many free throws. I don't like that. It's part of the reason why I've gone on not, maybe it's still in the single digits, rants of how much I don't like watching James Harden and Trey Young. But getting into some of the basketball, I thought it was early interesting that the Suns put Jock Landale in when DA came off the court, but they pulled him really quickly in the first half when Christian Wood came in because Christian Wood's a hard cover for Jock. But in the second half, Monty rolled with Jock a little bit more, and Jock rewarded the coaching staff by putting really good pressure on the offensive glass. I thought that was something that stood out. Dallas doesn't put hardly any pressure 
on the offensive glass. So defensive rebounding is pretty easy when you're playing a team like the Mavs. But then in the second half, it was like something pivoted in the Suns. And they said, okay, Jock's going to have a tough cover against a guy like Christian Wood. But the perk of having him on the court is what he can do on the other end. And I like watching for small things like that. So I thought he did a really good job in his limited minutes. But then getting to some of the core guys on the team, one of the things that I loved most was when Kevin Durant posts up, the Suns started the game by putting Devin Booker two passes away. So think about Kevin Durant posting up on the right side of the court. Devin Booker is spotting up on the left wing. The reason for that is the initial pass out when the Mavs were going to double Kevin Durant was going to the top of the key to Chris Paul, which then is one more pass when that weak side defender helps over one more pass to Devin Booker. And he got several good looks like that early on in the game. Late in the game, what Dallas said was, okay, we have to be disciplined enough that when Kevin Durant posts up, we have to change our rotation so that Chris Paul's going to get the ball, but nobody is flying off of another player. So we're going to get the ball to Chris Paul and say he has to be the one to shoot. And he did. Chris Paul was taking those shots off of Devin and D-Book and KD's drives. He was taking them off of their post-ups. And I think that is a huge deal for the Suns. It's a big deal when Chris Paul is willing to take a catch and shoot three for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the good and right shot on those possessions. And then it's usually giving a guy like Josh Okogie a chance to crash the boards. So again, small stuff as much as Monty rolling with Jock a little bit more in the second half to more fundamental stuff on the Suns, like Chris Paul being willing to take catch and shoot threes. I thought it was really a really good game for the Suns offensively to show even if they don't have a ton of games together by the end of the season, the offense can really hum with limited minutes. Yeah. Uh, I thought, I've got more to say about this later, but I thought Chris showed an additional aspect of where he can provide value within the Suns offense. And I think that's really going to shine come playoff time more than anything. Uh, When you're seeing more of those Booker Durant post-ups where defenses are going to have to say, no one, no one wants to be stuck one-on-one with either of those guys. And that is going to create space for someone else. Uh, we saw that actually in that game with lots of open threes, like we predicted. Uh, Josh Akogi, I think, going 0 for 8 from 3 uh, before other members of the group coming in and kind of taking over there. Uh, Ryan, what, what's something that you saw or something you maybe wanted to highlight about that game? To me, it was just, it felt like a classic game of NBA Jam that you're seeing kind of play out in person, right? You've got Luca going for 34 Kyrie going for 30. And then you've got book and KD both going for 30 plus. And it kind of felt like everybody else was on the periphery. I know you mentioned, you know, Chris Paul being involved and engaged in what that looked like. And obviously those parts were there, but it was cool seeing four guys who are way high up talent wise in the league's kind of stratosphere of talent, just going at it and all four delivering, But it's even better when you add the layer of animosity that is only growing between these two teams. And from a fan perspective, it was just a fun game to watch. 
Um, it's it's not often that you get a team that you hate bring in one of the biggest heels in the NBA, so you get to hate them even more. And I feel like we got that on full display. And to to have that on full display in this game for for the technicals, then at the end of the game, kind of the the back and forth, and to still come away with the win out of it, just felt really awesome as a fan. Um, and and I thought if you're looking for like a fan experience for this season, this is probably top three this season, just from what the game means to to the fan base as it pertains to the rivalry as it pertains to who got the better end of the trade deadline, whether it's the Mavs getting Kyrie or the Suns getting Kevin Durant, both huge gets. Um, it was just a, it was just a fun game. Uh, and to your point, I think it was playoff caliber. If you're trying to think in the future, what does this look like? If this is going to be another seven game series coming into uh, this summer, no, uh, that's going to be a long, long week and a half. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'd rather that not happen, uh, personally speaking. I, I do want to have a quick trivia question for you, boys. In a game where the Suns put up 130 points, who was the third highest scorer for the Phoenix Suns? I know it. Ryan, I, you want to take a guess? Well, I, I also I also know, because I, I had been looking at the numbers coming into this. But it's uh, our boy Ish. Ish Wainwright was the third highest scorer with 12 points. And he got big uh, love from Kevin Durant and Book. And, and I don't – I go ahead, Philip. And it was all with under two minutes left to go in the third quarter through the fourth. Wasn't there a game – wasn't it last season against the Spurs? Spurs. Yeah, Spurs. that he did this. Came, where he didn't came in play. late third. They didn't put in the centers again. He was the – yep. And it was more of a comeback instead of like the tit for tat that we saw. It was a small Sunday. ball. It was a small ball five rotation where it was some starters with some bench. Mm-hmm. Ish was at the five, but they played five out. And so they had five out the entire fourth quarter. And Ish was just phenomenal. Both sides mm-hmm. of the ball. It was kind of his big, oh, this guy might have something game. So yeah, it, I, I'm guessing someone has more things to say about that, but I want to at least pivot that into a question that I did have. We, we brought up, I think it was last week. Um, it had to have been last week talking about the others, the, the other group, the, the rest of the guys that aren't a part of what I would say the core rotation come playoff time. And so I wanted to kind of have a, a foundational understanding before asking this question. So I want to make sure you guys kind of agree with me here uh, before I set up the question. So the players that I have currently as the starters, and I think one of them we could argue, but anyway, I think you have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Josh Akogi, it seems, Kevin Durant, and Aiton. Everyone on board, at least to start with, let's mm-hmm. assume they're the five come playoff time. Mm-hmm. And now in the group that I believe is completely out of the rotation, you have Baisley, Busy. And I know he might, whatever, but he's kind of out of it. Saban Lee, and up to this point, TJ Warren. Yes. That leaves us with Tory Craig, Ish Wainwright, Jock Landale, Campaign, Damian Lee, and Terrence Ross. So we got six others plus our five. That's putting 11 players into a potential rotation. Now, here's, here's where I'm kind of leading to the question. I want to hear your thoughts. In 2021, the Phoenix Suns had an eight-man playoff rotation. Dario Saric was number nine in minutes per game, but was seven whole minutes less than the number nine minutes getter. 
in the 2012 Suns playoffs, they had a eight kind of man rotation where they had JaVale and Busy having completely split minutes, essentially, and Landry and Campaign essentially split, making up that seventh and eighth person in reality. If you're looking at the role kind of being filled. In 2018, this is where we're getting a little out here. In 2018, the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs, which was a very good team that won a championship, had 12 players that averaged 10 minutes or more. 12 players. We brought up last week in a general speak of what does a rotation around superstars look like. We said, maybe it's, you know, kind of rotation by committee. You see who's got it that night, you plug them in and you know the system works. That was the Golden State Warriors in 2018. I got vibes of that through this week's games, especially that Mavericks game where you said, Okoki was doing this, it's not working. We put in Ish. He can do what he needs to do. He still knows where he fits within the offense. If he's hitting, he stays. You saw Tori to some extent as well come in, hit a big shot, fill that role. I am really intrigued to see what the rotation is going to look like because I don't think Monty is going to cut that group of six to a group of three. I don't see the Suns, the way they're constructed right now, having a traditional eight-man rotation come playoff time. Maybe not even nine. I tried really hard to look at other teams in the West and say, would I want to go without Ish completely or Jock completely? I think Cam is a lock. I think Damian Lee, to some extent, you know, might be right behind. I It's going to be interesting. And I think it might be healthy to put our mindsets in more of the Golden State Warriors rotation by committee rather than what we're used to. What do you guys think about that idea? Do you think that's hopeful thinking that we have 10 dudes all delivering up to the caliber that you'd want? Do you think Monty's going to have to make hard decisions and be like, sorry, Damian Lee, Terrence Ross is taking your minutes. Like, What do you think we can take from what we've watched and, and kind of maybe project onto the playoff rotation? I I would like to see the more warrior style where if somebody's clicking, they're playing. I, I don't think you necessarily have to limit yourself. I think this is talent-wise probably the deepest bench <clears throat> Excuse me, that we've had since Monty took over. If I had to kind of quantify that, I think talent-wise we're probably the best we've ever been top to bottom, definitely in the starters. Um, but I think that's why you carry a guy like Busy and Jock. I think you – you know, two similar players, but who can bring different things to the table. I think that's one name you didn't mention, and I think will be interesting to see where he fits. And, and P-Dog006, who I can only assume is Phillip's burner account, uh, said something about Landry Shamit in the chat. Um, you know, we didn't even mention where is he going to fit? Is he going to fit? Will he even play? He's uh, being reevaluated next week. Shamit definitely should be out of the bleeping rotation. Dude's availability sucks. Abdul Nader 2.0. I personally would not have brought that comment into the show in any capacity, Ryan, but now that it's here, I will read it in its fullness because, you know, people want to, people want to say things. That's totally fine. Right, but I'm just saying uh, like, that's a name that we had, we didn't even mention. And you were talking kind of in your list. I think if, if this season has been any indication, he's going to have a spot in the rotation. What does that do everywhere else? I think, I think, you know, it's going to be, be committee play. And I think Monty is going to have to run with the hot hand based on matchups. Philip, what are your thoughts there? 
I was trying to think who who do you sit? Who doesn't play? Come playoff time. I spent Campa- a lot of time last night having that conversation with Campaign's myself. playing. We yep. talked about it. It's not something we're super high on, but he's the backup point guard. Singular. He's the backup point guard on the team. Jock's playing. He's the backup big on the team. You're not sitting a guy like Tory Craig throughout the playoffs. You're going to need his energy off the bench. Okogi, we've talked about him enough. We're probably going to talk about him later this episode. He's going to get in foul trouble in the playoffs during a game. If he gets in foul trouble against a team like the Mavericks, Tory Craig's coming in. That's how that's going to work. So we're at eight already. I don't think you're sitting Damian Lee for the entire playoffs, Not like, especially against a smaller team with his shooting ability. If there are teams who are coming in who want to try to play a zone, who think they have some sort of zone that they can play against Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, D. Lee is going to bring them out of that in less than three possessions because he'll get two open threes in the playoffs. And then Ish looked like he belonged. I lied. I'm bringing up Joshua Kogi again. <laughs> against the Bucks a couple weeks ago, down the stretch, we said offensively and in part defensively, it didn't look like Josh Okogie belonged on the court. Last Sunday against the Mavs, Ish belonged out there mm-hmm. down the stretch, playing an extended period of time. And if you're stringing him in during regular minutes, I don't see how you're going to sit him either. That's a 10 man rotation. So I think it's going to have to be. And we talked about this last week too, matchup dependent where you have 10 guys. And I'm pretty comfortable playing all of those guys who we just mentioned. And then the 11th guy, the 11th guy would be Terrence Ross, more of a spark plug off the bench. Who's looking better defensively. That's going to be a big thing over the next several weeks, seeing if his defensive comfortability that we talked about last week that Ethan brought up can increase. Did you catch his interview session this week, by the way? No. Uh, he got asked about what what's kind of been the biggest uh, thing to figure out, the biggest adjustment, and he goes, switching on defense. He's like, <laughs> they switch so much. They switch everything. And he was almost joking to the extent of how overwhelming it was. And we talked about that exact same thing last week. We watched him physically process that in his brain. But no, I think I think you're right. I think he keeps getting better on that side as well. Yeah, and I think the Suns are in a spot where you have 11 guys. You don't want all 11 of these guys playing 20 minutes a game. That's not what we're saying. But you have 11 guys who I think you would be okay with them playing multiple stints throughout a game. Yeah, and I think Landry, based on the report this week, was practicing at a level that is getting very close to a return to the court. I think this is a weird way to word it. I think Kevin Durant being out for the next couple weeks is going to give Landry more of an opportunity to try to reinsert himself just in terms of where those minutes are. I'm still going to say I think he is a playoff rotation player if he comes back and plays the way he was playing. And I think a big part of that is if you are putting bets on an open corner three, who do you pick out of quote that group? I'm going with Landry and Damian Lee. Every single time, Ish is getting up there. Ish is his his corner three is looking great, but I'm just saying within that rotation, especially come playoff time, where you have the size of KD and Aiton, and you have the luxury of going a little smaller. Mm -hmm. Landry's perimeter defense, I think, is better than Damian Lee's perimeter defense. 
I think Damien's shot creation for himself can be better and facilitating. I think we've seen flashes from Landry, but not quite. I mean, that's that's 11 to 12 guys that I think all have the right to expect something come playoff time. And it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. And again, we, we said we're going to get a lot of trial and error with the rotations. I think that's going to continue with Kevin Durant out. I think, again, if we're just trying to silver lining this thing, that's more opportunity for minutes to the rest of the group. Because again, and I think you've heard it even from national media, Kevin Durant is the easiest superstar to plug and play ever. So you don't need to be worried about, well, what does the rotation look like if Kevin enters this? doesn't matter. Kevin is Kevin. You know what you're going to get here. So I, I thought that was interesting just looking at the, uh, the sorry, I saw something funny, uh, looking at the rotations of, of what that's looked like. And then again, against the Thunder, you saw more involvement from, from other folks. A couple stats I wanted to bring up from the Mavericks game before we either you know, continue that conversation or move on. The Suns were outscored by the Mavericks 80 to 56 in the free throw and three point category. 80 to 56. The Mavs essentially shot 50, 40, 90. And the Dallas players, not named Luka, shot 48% from three, and they still lost that game. If that does not give you some extra little bit of hope at a potential rematch in some capacity, Go read those numbers again. The Mavericks, in my opinion, played a phenomenal Mavericks game. I think the weak points came from Luka and Kyrie figuring out what the crap they're doing together. And I loved it. And I hope that continues. I think if you're a Mavericks fan, what that bench unit gave you is everything you would want. I don't think you would essentially want Tim Hardaway Jr. to do all of it for you. You'd probably want it to be dispersed amongst the group. But legitimately, Dallas players did everything you would want and then allowed Damian, or sorry, Luka Doncic to get to the free throw line 19 times, making 17 of them. I think they only missed three free throws. That was a near perfect Mavs game. And I think that shows how well the Suns handled it as well. I thought that was a wonderful game. And I think it also showed and people can be angry in the comments again, Kevin Durant's insertion is what makes that game a win. McHale and Cam Johnson, that's not a win. And I love Cam and McHale. Kevin Durant is what puts you over the hump there to say even when a team does that to you with two superstars, you have this thing you didn't have before. And that's it, it shows why we view this team differently now. Um, Again, one of, only other stat that jumped out to me, in terms of assists, which again, I think speaks volumes to the Kyrie and Lucas system, the Suns had 27 assists to the Mavs 15, and this is the big one. Devin Booker had 10 assists, Chris Paul had 7. So as we're again looking to see how does this offense change with the addition of Kevin Durant, Chris Paul is not the one facilitating. You now have three incredible basketball minds who can all pass the ball and it's going to be fun to watch Devin Booker elevate, I think, in terms of not just creating for himself or having offense created for him, but what he can create for Kevin. Uh, I'm pumped. That game got me incredibly excited to see this team play more high-level basketball come playoff time. Uh, and again, Ish Wainwright, 12 points, the third highest scorer is hilarious. I think Chris was at 11. Chris, Chris was there. Uh, but 
any anything else from this game? I know we've mentioned Lucas Bunnies. I know we briefly mentioned Josh Akogi's, uh shooting night that he probably would like to forget. Uh, anything else from that game other than the uh, Ryan already mentioned the technicals and the beef. I feel like we hit a lot. Uh, Monty mocking Luca to Jason Kidd with the fake like go at him. That was great as well. But uh, anything else before we move to the Thunder game? Sun's got to get right on defense, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I don't love giving up that many or that shooting percentage. But anyway, we move to the Thunder game. We're going to breeze by the Kevin Durant injury because we are not doctors. Crazy. I know lots of journalists think they know what a sprain looks like based on a video clip. Uh, Three weeks and they'll reevaluate. That's what the Suns have put out. I think Sham said two, the Suns said three. Everything I take from that is they are going to be very smart and slow with the recovery. I'm all about it. So with that in mind, the Suns played the Thunder without Kevin Durant. The Thunder also didn't have their full litany of stars. So it wasn't a game that people were getting too excited about once Kevin Durant was no longer there. But Devin Booker put on a Devin Booker performance, 44 points in 28 minutes. Absolutely phenomenal. I want to, before I just go down all the things that make me excited, uh, what are some things that stood out to you guys in this game? Again, Suns win 130-101. It was kind of close. It was within reaching distance for a comeback for the first two and a half, three quarters. And then the Suns kind of put him to bed. What stood out to you guys the most there? For me, we just we just handled our business. This this felt like one of those games where you've already mentioned, and I think you said their litany of stars, which might be generous. The Thunder didn't have SGA. You can't come in and afford that game to be a close game. And that's the Suns came in. They buried them. Everybody contributed. Um, to your point, book, book, book put on a clinic. Um, maybe one of the most efficient games I've seen. Um, but I, we, we handled business, and that's what you want, especially after uh, an injury like KD's before the game that could very easily get you out of the, the headspace you need to be in going to one of those games. Um, I was just impressed how they were able to put that behind and, and bury the thunder and get what should have been an easy win and, and move on. Phil? Not a lot. I mean, I you said it was a really fun week. I thought the Mavericks game was really fun. I thought the Thunder game was a snoozer. Mm-hmm. They they were. I, I had fun watching that game. Lots I don't of like, players. Were I don't hot. like blowouts. I don't. I actually told Sarah this. My wife this last night. I don't feel like you can really learn a ton in blowouts. Uh, I mean, you could nitpick and talk about the second unit struggled for the Suns guarding off ball cuts. There was a great pass from DA to Booker in the corner against the zone. He caught the ball, knew where Booker was going to be, checked to see if it was open, whipped it past. Booker hit a corner three with about a minute, 50 seconds left in the first half. But then after that, it's just, it's cool to see the bench guys get some run. Devin Booker was amazing. Devin Booker should be amazing against teams that are trashed defensively. So like Ryan said, they handle their business and that's cool. Well, I'll talk about what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> what did you love, Ethan? I had a fun, I had a fun time. I enjoyed watching Terrence Ross get his confidence back. Uh, 23 minutes, 24.6 of 10 from three. After he was being shocking, quick reactions. Talked pretty poorly about on Sun's Twitter about his lack of general ability. He showed that he can score and shoot the ball well and shoot with confidence and not just hit wide open threes in the corner. Also created for himself. 
had some good stuff around the rim. I liked seeing that. Again, I watch every one of these games from here on out as who from this group is going to either solidify their spot or slip away from their spot. Uh, Darius Baisley only took about 10 seconds on the court for me to be reminded why he does not have a spot. Um, sorry, sorry there, Bays. Um, but it is impressive to have a 31 point win and to be a plus minus of minus 13. Like in how many in how many minutes? What uh, was I believe it? it was 10 minutes played. Yeah, it was see. something fun. It was something funny, like seven minutes. Oh, no, minutes. sorry, six. That's uh, it. No, 10. 10 minutes, 10 seconds of playing time. It was funny. I was like, it seemed yeah. like when you got out there, things went poorly. And that was <laughs> yeah, correct. it's rough. Um, here's what I wanted to talk about. This is this is my my one question regarding the, the and I was going to go just so you know, but I wanted to get your all's thoughts on it and didn't want to just save it to the end. Chris Paul went four of five from three. I think we can all officially say Chris's three-point shooting has looked significantly better than last year. Right now, he's shooting 38% from three. I think last year, he was in the 31 to 32 range. And in one of the post-game press conferences, or it might have been throughout the week, he made a comment of finding a new way to be involved, and part of that is being more willing to take that shot. I then went down a weird rabbit hole of, what do I think Chris Paul's role looks like come playoff time. I was looking at oldest, I don't know why I did this. I was looking at oldest starting point guards to win the NBA finals. Cause you know, the boy, the boy ancient. Um, here's what I came up with. And I don't know any. Also, I looked on Twitter to see if anyone else has said this and I saw someone throw it out there like three months ago. So this is not Ethan being a genius. This is just a thought. Jason Kidd. 2011 NBA finals championship starting point guard for the Dallas Mavericks in that finals. Jason Kidd averaged 9.3 points per game shot 37% from three on five and a half attempts and had 7.3 assists and 1.9 steals per game. Right now, Chris Paul's season 13.5 points per game. So about four more 38% from three near identical 4.3 attempts, nine and a half assists, 2.1 steals. Now, that's Chris Paul's season this season versus Jason Kidd's playoff stretch. Uh, I think his point high for that whole playoff run was actually in game one of the very first round. I think he had like 17 or 19, but really hovered comfortably at that 10, 10 a game mark. I think that is a really good one sign for us to say that can be a successful point guard in the playoffs. The assists are where they need to be, low turnovers. The steals number I was something that jumped out to me. Chris is averaging over two a game right now, something I might not have immediately went to. But that was a really good playoff stretch for Jason Kidd. And I think that Chris Paul, if he can get close to his season numbers, a little low maybe, that can still do it with the team that's put around him. The only stat that differed, which I think is important, is the attempts per game from three. We've seen it already tick up since the addition of Kevin Durant and kind of all the change in the last month, it's a big tick up from last season. Do we think that Chris Paul, a guy that I think we all talked about early this season as maybe losing a bit, coming back from injury, figuring it out. Do we like this role that he is playing now? And do we think that that can get it done come playoff time? When in the past, we kind of counted on Chris to be, our fourth quarter savior at times, the closeout guy, you know, I don't even think about him being that anymore. 
with Kevin Durant on the team. Like, do you think Chris can thrive now that he went from being essentially last season a 1B to, in my opinion, now a clear-cut 3 or 3B, depending on what we're seeing out of DeAndre Ayton come playoff time? Do you think that that is good for the team and for Chris Paul as he continues to get older? Because I, I, I enjoyed kind of seeing that comp and seeing how that looked. Yes, it's really good for the team. The injury, the injury history is there. The up and down shooting is there. If you can go into the playoffs saying we are not depending on Chris Paul being offensively brilliant, then you're in a significantly better position than you were last year. And early on in the season, what we were hoping for was that the twins would get to a spot like that. And instead of hoping for the twins getting to that spot come playoff time, now you're just inserting a potentially top 15, top 10 player of all time into that role. So yeah, it's awesome. It's great for CP. And I think he can probably play a role that he's even more comfortable with and is better suited for his particular skill set. Well, and I also think uh, our success in the postseason really hinges on Chris's ability to make it to the end. We we can't rely on on campaign coming in and having to carry the bulk of his minutes. And I think this role is probably going to take a slightly um, easier toll on Chris's body throughout the playoffs too, I would think, which is a benefit. It, it you know, it's one of those benefits that doesn't necessarily score uh, show up in the scorebook. But if you think he's not in there getting bumped as much, he's not having to press as hard, you would think longevity-wise this could be good for him as well, which is a benefit. And, and my take on that is if Chris Paul gets hurt, it's not campaign who fills the majority right. of Fair. his minutes. Fair. Yeah, and one other interesting note. I know the stat lines were really similar. Um, kids' playoff run in Chris's season. Chris Paul right now is averaging 31 minutes per game. Jason Kidd was playing 35 and a half minutes per game during those playoffs. He was 37 and a half years old. So that is about the same age within a year as Chris right now. I don't think the Suns necessarily want Chris to play 35 minutes per game, and I don't think they have to. And again, to Phillip's point, I don't think that's going to equate to more campaign minutes, which is a luxury. That that Mavericks team, again, won the finals. Those were J.J. Barea minutes. J.J. Barea actually came in and completely took over the point guard role in every one of those rotations, we have the luxury of saying Devin Booker is going to take what would essentially be your second run at the point guard spot. I just think the more I think about how this team can set themselves up, the more comfortable I feel about the playoffs, which is good because players in the past, which we've all thought about as a Come playoff time, they make me nervous. I think JaVale McGee might have been our first official entry into the uh, I'm nervous when they touch the floor come playoff time. Like None of the guys that we've talked about in a group of 10 or 11 maybe, I feel nervous about touching the court, which is a luxury. And I think part of it is the expectations on them are not to a level where we should be concerned. I think they're all pretty fair given their ability and what's being put around them. So yeah, Thunder game, I don't know. I think as a guy who enjoys watching every game live, watching the Sun stomp someone after a heart attack-inducing Mavericks game was a lot of fun. I texted both of them. I texted both Philip and Ryan. I was like, 
guys, if you're not watching this Thunder game, it's pretty fun. <laughs> I did not get a reply, nor did I get a follow-up. And I was like, okay, sounds, sounds good. I'll watch it again later. So it happens. Terrence Ross, I, I enjoyed you doing good basketball things. And Chris Paul, keep on shooting. Gentlemen, we have covered our two games. Let's get into the only reason people keep coming back. Legitimately, the only good part of the show. Our highs, our lows, and our just so you knows in Phoenix Suns basketball. Philip, I'm going to go ahead and let you take the highs to get us started. I love Devin Booker attacking closeouts this week. I already talked about really liking him when he was two passes away when KD went to work. And I thought when he was attacking off of defensive rotations, I thought there was an increased level of physicality this week that I was really encouraged by, even against a guy who I'm pretty sure is markedly bigger than him in Reggie Bullock. Mm-hmm. He he was really good. And I think Booker showing that capacity to consistently attack down into the paint will be really important for the Suns because that's going to open up some easy looks for DA, some easy looks. It'll eventually be strong side. Devin gets it, gets a pass to the weak side to make that the strong side back into the corner where the initial action took place. There's a lot that's going to go right for the Suns if he's a real threat attacking closeouts. Ryan, high for the week. My high was just a combination of those X-Factor plug-in players-ish, Terrence against the Thunder, those guys to give you confidence going into the playoffs that when you need to find that fifth man, that open man, we have multiple guys who can get that hot hand and get it going. Like That is so encouraging. And to use the word we've used already a couple times, is a luxury uh, moving forward. And that was a real encouragement this week. Yeah, my high was Ish Wainwright against the Mavericks. Um, I... I can't relate to this in high pressure basketball. I can relate in terms of what I would call high pressure soccer coming off the bench, not touching the field and then being brought on at the end of the game where every, the energy is high. The expectations are high. Everything is so big and you're coming in with no experience. That is the worst feeling in the world because mentally you can't get yourself to that point when you're sitting at the end of the bench. Devin Booker even gave Ish a shout out in the post game, basically being like, Ish did something that I can't do. He's like, I, you can't ask me to sit on the bench for 30 minutes and not touch the ball and come in and hit big shots over and over. And Ish came in and did just that and played good defense. Like he, I think, if you're looking at one player who really did wonders for himself in these two games, I think it's Ish Wainwright. I think he put himself clearly in the middle of the pack that says I belong out here and I'm thrilled for him because he, he seems like such a good guy with such a good story. Uh, I'm really happy for him. They don't win that game against Dallas without it. And I also think he did wonders for Josh Akogi because if they lose that game, Josh Akogi's mental well being, the fan response is completely different than if Ish comes in, goes what four or five and we win that game. He did Josh Akogi a world of good by doing what he did and making them more of this collective rather than a me versus you type of thing. And, and I thought that was big. Uh, lows, lows for the week. I'm, I don't know if I need to start this by saying other than Kevin Durant's ankles, but if that's what you got, go for it. Ryan, what was your low? Shea Gilgis-Alexander load management. I was really looking forward to seeing him play against this team in that game, and I'm mad about it. That's, you that's it. Good, do you want to hear some good news? K- KD was the easy pick, so I had to go off the beaten path. Do you want to hear some good news? Hit me with it. If I remember right, we played the Thunder two more times, which is good news for times. good news for two reasons. One, I hope you get to watch SGA. And two, if you're looking at 
trying to get wins come playoff time. I'm thrilled. Hard. I'm thrilled that we play the Thunder <laughs> two more times. Uh, Philip, what you got for your low? It's similar to last week. I think the Suns still have real unknowns on their team. Sunday showed that Josh Okogie isn't a guy to leave on an island necessarily against the best offensive players in the league. He Luca bodied him several times down the stretch, and he he just couldn't keep up. And I'm not saying there's anybody else on the team who could, but that can't be the defensive scheme. So there's still that unknown. What is the defense going to look like? And then I'm still not happy with campaign. I don't know what campaign's role should be come playoff time. We've used the word luxury when thinking about his minutes. Right now, there's not much luxurious about the way he's been playing. And I think the problem is that the absence of a true point guard just makes the offense that much harder. When Book and Katie are on the court, they're going to get good looks. But when you add Chris Paul into that mix, when you add even just a competent, good point guard, it looks so effortless at times. And it's felt like I test wise when campaign's been on the court, everything looks that much harder. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I think we had a fan table question about it, trying to find a, a free agent point guard to come in and whatever, and like whatever I'm, I'm not, I'm not going that direction, but I do think the campaign issues are worth being discussed and brought up. And I, might need to close your ears here, Ryan. I think there's a chance that he plays himself out of the playoff rotation because of the necessity to have a Booker, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant instigating that offense. Uh, close your ears, person in the comments. Landry Shamit even got those minutes when Cam was hurt. Like, you've got to have someone who can facilitate the offense and make the right decision. And I think there's a list of players right now I would pick over campaign. And that's not good for him uh, in terms of his his prospects come playoff time. Uh, my my low, and we're not. I'm not going to harp on it. Josh Okogie going 0 for 8 or whatever, I think highlighted a concern that we all discussed last week, which is in a Kevin Durant offense, we expect there to be a lot of open shots. You have to make sure someone out there can hit them. Josh Okogie's had a couple brilliant offensive games that I think are highlighted by his work around the boards and his ability to attack the rim. I know there have been some threes in the mix, two of five, two of four. There's a big difference in that, which is a three pointer within the flow of offense versus the defense is letting you stand open and you have to deliver every single time to force them to change him missing over and over and over allowed the Mavericks to sit in that little small shell, giving Luca a break defensively and allowed the Mavs to continue doing what they were doing. And that never should have happened Uh, to Phillips point. Damian Lee's in there hits two of three Mavericks immediately adjust. Josh Kogi wasn't getting it done. Applaud him for continuing to shoot. That is the right decision. You can't really attack a slow closeout if there isn't a closeout. So he did what was needed, but the shot wasn't falling. Props to Monty for pulling the plug, giving someone else a chance, more love for Ish for delivering, but come playoff time, you can't afford for someone to go 0 for 8. I think either the leash will be a little shorter, or you have to have someone in there who's not going to let that happen. Uh, overall, not horrible lows. You go 2-0, and 0, things are looking pretty good. Uh, just so you know, Ryan, I'll let you go first, because yours is always the one I'm most intrigued by. If I say 21 games, what comes to mind? 
Uh, uh, 21 Savage? I'm not sure. Uh, yes, no. Uh, 21 times Devin Booker has made six three-pointers in a game. Oh, in dude, I saw that. And has not been able to hit a seventh. 21 times, dating back to 2016, he has hit six three-pointers in a game without being able to make a seventh in the regular season. Pretty wild statistic. Because he did it in the playoffs, right? He's done yeah, it in he the playoffs. Seven. Yeah, but he's, he's hit not seven in the, the regular playoffs, season. But in the regular season, he's never hit Which, seven. That stat is that stat is even crazier when you realize how many times he's scored forty plus. <laughs> Dude dropped seventy. Like, that's yeah, insane. Yeah, uh, crazy stat. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my just so you know real quick, just because I, I'm gonna tie it in there. Everyone was talking about just the general numbers for Booker in that game. Obviously, forty four points in twenty eight minutes is phenomenal. Six of ten for three. My favorite part is he was 11 of 13 from two. That's stupid for a dude that's not a center. 11 of 13 from two. Just phenomenal scoring at every single level. He was amazing. Uh, Philip, you're just so you know. My, my question that I had going into this episode was, has everything actually been better recently? And the statistics play out a resounding yes. Pre-All-Star break, the Suns' net rating as a team was only one and a half. So they were better than their opponents per 100 possessions, just one and a half points. Since the All-Star break, they are a league-best 13.4 with their net rating. Offensively, pre-All-Star break, they were scoring 113.5 points per 100 possessions, which was good for 18th in the league. After the All-Star break, it's jumped Nine and a half points to 123. Defensively, they have improved defensively two and a half points per 100 possessions. So they've improved offensively by 10. They've improved defensively by two and a half. And everything has been better. The caveat to this is I want to see how they roll today against the Kings and then Monday and Tuesday against the Warriors and the Bucks to see if that those defensive numbers are actually real or. Is it just a sign of who they've been playing? I'm confident that the offense is real. I think this week is a really good test for the defense. You jumped right into where I was going to bring this thing to a close. We've got a large slate of games and some very good games coming up. Again, starting tonight, Saturday night against the Kings. Right now, the Kings uh, are two and a half games, quick math, ahead of the Suns. uh, And the Grizzlies right around there as well. Followed it up Monday, one game break or one day break between against the Warriors. Then second game of a back to back, which sucks, is the Bucks. That is a that is a tough stretch. Kings, Warriors, and Bucks. And then the good news is they'll then get to play the Magic to kind of catch their breath, uh, and then the Thunder to start next week. So we're gonna have some good games to talk about when we reconvene next Saturday morning. Again, if you are still listening, thank you for joining. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at the Valley PHX or on the YouTube channel. For those that have been watching live, thank you. For those in the comments, we appreciate you adding to the show as well. Uh, got lots of changes and moves coming up. So again, please please go ahead and follow us so, so we don't miss you. Uh, and you can say subscribe once that time comes. Uh, anything else before we bring it to a close? Go Sun. For Philip and Ryan, I'm Ethan Shutt. This is Into the Valley, the Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.